Here's how we're going to do. Begin. We've all seen them. Those of us with children probably have them. Uh, what are they? They are car stickers. Uh, I was calling them bumper stickers, but I couldn't figure out they can't be bumper stickers because nobody really puts them on bumpers anymore. They put them on windows, so I couldn't figure out. So can you still call a bumper sticker a bumper sticker if it's in a window? And evidently, you call them decals. That's what I learned in the first service. Julie told me they were decals. So we've all seen these decals. Some of them go like this. My child is an honor student at South Bosque Elementary School. Right? So we have honor students now in elementary school. Uh, my child is a cheerleader, a football player in the band, a baseball and basketball and FFA and debate team captain all at once at China Spring Middle School. My child, you've seen this one, is a National Merit Scholar, top 10 in their class, future Rhodes Scholar, and the future discoverer of the cure of cancer at Waco High, Right? Uh, then we move on to the college logos, right? This is what we do. Uh, David Zoll in his new book, Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food Politics, and Romance Become Our New Religion and What to Do About It. He says this, something meant to express pride in one's child serves as a convenient double purpose, signaling parental virtue. The message to other parents is clear. I am enough because my child goes to this college, right? The subliminal message has been received by all of us. I mean, it's obviously hit a cultural nerve, right? That subliminal message about virtue that we're all striving for, uh, because new stickers are now turning up all over the place. Have you seen them? I love this one. It says, your kid's an honor student, but you're a moron. <laughs> so Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is asking you, it's asking me, it's asking this phenomenal question, who <laughs> are you? I am fill in the blank. I am what? What am I? Am I my child's achievements or my child's failures? Am I my productivity or my inability? I am, am I uh, my sense of autonomy, my sense of independence, or my loss of control? I am, am I uh, my ideal weight, my ideal body image, or my wrecked one? I am, am I uh, the dopamine hit that I get from affirmation or love on social media? Or what's the opposite of dopamine when you get rejected on social media? You don't get the smiley face, you don't get the heart eyes, you don't get the tags, uh, you actually get ridiculed, or you actually learn that you've been left out of something. Are you that? Who are you? I am fill in the blank. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Please be seated, y'all. So Lord, would you shine on the page, Holy Spirit, would you speak us back to life again? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's the question. What drives the desperate quest for an identity? In other words, what's driving you for a solid self this morning? The rest of your day, the way that you interact with people, the way that you handle your career, the way you uh, relate to money, the way uh, you go about recreation, the way you go about competition, the way you go about being criticized, how you handle failure, what you do with rejection, what drives this desperate quest for an identity? <laughs> Ephesians has the answer. It's unbelievable. Look at verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption. That word redemption means freedom. That word redemption means release. And the literal translation goes like this. It puts a definite article in front of it. It says, in him we have the redemption. So the freedom, the release. We have a single, epic, definitive, definite article event that brings freedom and release. The opposite of redemption, freedom, or release in verse 7 is something the Bible calls condemnation. Verse 7 describes condemnation this way, calls it the unforgiveness of our trespasses or offenses or violations or breaking things or tearing at the spiritual fabric of the universe. So what drives our desperate quest for an identity? Ephesians answers the fear of condemnation. Ephesians says we're all afraid of being condemned. The condemnation of our very being. It's having the roots of your existence being pulled out. It's when Isaiah stands before God and he sees, all he does is see just the bottom train of God's robe. He doesn't even see the top of the robe, the full bodied of the robe, the actual throne. He just gets the bottom train of God's robe and he says, I'm undone. He says, literally, I am disintegrating. I am unraveling right before your eyes. I am becoming formless and void. I am turning into chaos. 
The condemnation of your very being is you becoming a non-person. It's you ceasing to exist. It's self-diminishment, piece by painful piece, till there's nothing of you left. And condemnation of your very being is the darkest, deepest dungeon in the cosmos. It is the ultimate doom. This is why we're afraid of being condemned by a father's expectations or the kids at school. The condemnation of our very being is why we're afraid of being condemned by the standards at work or the standards of a teacher or the standards of a coach or the standards of school or the standards at church. This is why we're afraid of being condemned by the law of productivity or the law of success and the law of ability and the law of achievement or the law of an ideal body image or an ideal weight. This is why we're afraid of being condemned by that critical voice inside your head or the one from your spouse or the one from a child or for the or from the stupid kid on the playground. This is why we're afraid of being condemned by the Ten Commandments. Or what's more popular today, our pathological need for transformation, this obsession we have for life change, to fix ourselves, tweak ourselves, control ourselves, master ourselves, improve ourselves, be better, be more. The church is loaded with this law. We're terrified. You are terrified of falling short. Robert Farrar Capon in his book, I said Capone in the first service, so I thought I would cover all my bases today. Capon in his book, The Foolishness of Preaching, says, we struggle all our lives against the fear of being last, least, lost, little, or dead. And not one of us has moved one inch away from these conditions. Isn't that fascinating? He continues. He says, the great-grandfather of all stumbling blocks. In other words, he's saying, listen, do you want to know what the great-grandfather is of all the stumbling blocks in your life? All the stumbling block, the, the major stumbling block in your relationships, the major stumbling block with how you relate to sexual intimacy, the major stumbling block with how you relate to people, communication, the major stumbling block with how you handle failure or rejection or criticism, the major stumbling block of how you misuse your career. The major stumbling block, he says, in our lives is the fear of losing, of looking like a failure, and above all, being a failure. Being condemned is the ultimate doom. Being condemned is the ultimate prison. The ultimate dungeon. It's the ultimate captivity that all the captivities in the Old Testament were pointing to. The Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greco-Roman were all pointing to this deepest, darkest dungeon in the cosmos. Condemnation. We give condemnation voice today when we say things like, she has her demons. Or, well, he's self-medicating. On Tuesday morning, 
My dad and I descended into the deepest, darkest dungeon in the cosmos. The police were everywhere. A family in our neighborhood was wailing. I don't think I will ever get that out of my head. Well, you did? A son was lost, and a father was sobbing. He had his demons. Condemnation not only touches us personally, not only touches us relationally, not only touches us culturally and societally and institutionally and politically and internationally and racially and globally, but condemnation doesn't just touch us. When condemnation gets a hold of you, it has the power to imprison you. Imprison you. Lock you up. Chain you down drag you into captivity. This is why psychologist Madeline Levine says the fear of condemnation has led to a relentless drive to perform at unrealistically high levels. Does anyone feel that pressure? And then she says it's absolutely destroying children. She goes on to say the cost of this relentless drive to perform at unrealistically high levels is a generation of kids who resemble nothing so much as trauma victims. And that's just getting up and going to school. Condemnation's power to imprison has even touched our sleep and now put it in a dungeon. I mean, what's the most inactive thing you can do? What's the most unworking thing you can do? What's the most unproductive thing we can do? Sleep, right? So you think at least you have one place you can escape to. You can't even escape sleep anymore. Sleep has been imprisoned by condemnation. The 2014 Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, declared insomnia to be a full-blown health epidemic in the United States. In fact, over the past 10 years, because of this epidemic, the sleep industry has boomed to a $32 billion industry every year. I actually got one of those mattresses. I kind of like it. Do you kind of like it, sweetie? I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, essayist E. Fairbanks reflects on how we sleep now, and she says, if this onslaught of sleep studies and sleep industry, now Chris Matlock, he's in this business, what this essayist is saying, that there's an ideology behind the sleep business, the sleep industry, and the sleep studies. What's the ideology, you're asking, because I want to know what the ideology is. Here's what it is. She says this. First, that sleep is absolutely critical for high performance. <laughs> and second, that you can improve your sleep, but only with intense effort. We want to sleep, she says, more and more, not because we value sleep more on its own terms, but because we're so fixated on productivity. Do you see what happens? We're so afraid to fail that the prison of condemnation has imprisoned sleep in such a way that now we stress over it. We stress over sleep. What was designed to give you relief from stress, you now stress over sleep because you've got to be more productive. 
This is why Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption. In him we have freedom. In him we have release. I mean, follow this. This is unbelievable. The freedom from captivity and chains, the release from prisons and dungeons. That's what the redemption means. And it notice, it says, through his blood. Do you see that? Now watch this. Now what comes next? What he's going to say next is going to expand what redemption means. He's going to um, load up some more meaning for you. So we could say it like this. In him we have the redemption. That is, that is, this is what it is, an expansion of the meaning, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Do you see this? The forgiveness of our trespasses is longhand for no more condemnation. Forgiveness of our trespasses means the captives of condemnation have been set free. Forgiveness of our trespasses means the dungeon of condemnation has just been evacuated. The prison of condemnation, the prisoners of condemnation have been set free. Who are you? Ephesians says you are redeemed, not condemned. Who are you? I am redeemed, not condemned. And don't miss this. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption. In him we have freedom. In him we have release. This means there's no redemption. There's no freedom from condemnation. There's no emptying the dungeons and breaking the chains apart from him. Oh, this is so incredible. So this means that in our performance, there is no redemption. There's no freedom from condemnation. There's no release from condemnation. This means that in the affirmation of others, your spouse, your parents, your friends, your coach, your teacher, social media, in our affirmation, the affirmation of others, we do not have redemption. We do not have freedom from condemnation. We do not have release from condemnation. This means that in any standard, in any measurement, in any law, in any principle, in any expectation, we do not have redemption. There's no freedom from condemnation. There's no release from condemnation. In Him, we have redemption. And you say, okay, that's great, Jeff, but how? <clears throat> how? Do you see that, that, that verb, have? Look at it. In Him, we have. You know, it's, the English sort of gets it, but it kinda, it's kind of like a be verb, right? It's just kind of, eh. Oh, it doesn't grip, hasn't have the action, it doesn't have the activity, it doesn't have the dynamism that actually makes you think something real is going on. Oh yeah, I have redemption. Have means hold, have means possessed, have means it's in the, the roots of your being. It is the most objective reality to you on the planet even more than taking your next breath. You have redemption, okay? 
So you're asking, well, then, I mean, how do I have it like that? How do I hold it like that? How do I possess it like that? How does when I say, I am redeemed, not condemned, mean something like it's in my bones that now informs the way I relate to criticism and now gives me resources to deal with rejection and failure, and it actually gives me strength to relate to money differently and my career differently and my relationships differently. How does that happen, you ask? Because that's what you were asking me. And I'm going to back up a bit, and I'm going to say, but some of you are saying, before you answer that question, though, Jeff, I really don't care about that question because I am a Christian. I know I'm redeemed, not condemned. I need something more. I mean, you give me the peanut butter, but as a pastor I heard once say, listen, Jesus is the peanut butter, but, but you need some jelly. You need something else that comes along. You need something more in the Christian life. And so you're asking me, like, I, I know this, Jeff, but I need something more. And I say, okay, okay. You might have a point. There might be jelly out there. There might be some for you that we need more than peanut butter. Okay. But I don't know if Paul would agree with you because, let's just follow this logic. The book of Ephesians is written to who? Is it written to church people or unchurch people? Quick. Church people. Okay, so it's written to Christians. Fascinating. So do you think it's written to help Christians? Do you think it's written to help sanctify Christians, to help spiritual dynamism at work in Christians? Do you think spiritually electrify us, move us, do something? I don't know. Yes. Okay. Thank you for answering that one. The second question is this. Look at the verb. Notice the verb tense of have. Present tense. Present tense. So when you add this church this book is written to Christians and church people. You have a present tense. We have present tense redemption. That means this redemption is, is presently powerful for Christians. So Paul would say to us that think we need this jelly, that we need something more, he'd say, uh, no, I think you need to hear this, actually. I think you need to hear what I'm saying here. In other words, Paul is saying redemption, redemption, freedom, Release is a present power. <laughs> a present power in your life. And how you handle conflict. And how you deal with criticism. And how you deal with your failure. And how you have a good relationship with your career and how you have a good relationship with your money, and how you have a good relationship with sexual intimacy. Okay, Jeff, so how, how, how does this become a present power in my life? How is I am redeemed, not condemned, make a difference? In other words, how does it apply? <laughs> I want you to look at verse 7 again. I told you I feel like Dr. Jones. We're not leaving verse 7 today, just to let you know. Uh, in him we have redemption. Here it is. In him we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. How? How do we have this redemption? How do we have, possess, hold the, the power and the resources of this freedom and this release? Through his blood. Through his blood, all the expectations and all the cosmic laws and all the, 
measurements and all the demands and all the obligations and all the claims on you through his blood have ended. They've been met. Wait, through whose blood? Whose blood? Jesus' blood. God's blood. How are you able to say, I am redeemed, not condemned? How is there present power in I am redeemed, not condemned? The answer from Ephesians, the answer from the Bible is this. You're able to. There's power there because it's a dead God on a cross. Because a dead God on a cross unleashes heaven on you. Every spiritual blessing on you. transforms us, changes us, puts us back together again, reaches us in our loneliness and reaches us in our devastations and failures and reaches us in our highs and our victories and our joys. When you see a dead God on a cross absorbing, absorbing all your condemnation to himself, When you see a dead God on a cross experiencing all your doom, all your darkness, all your dungeon in himself. When you see a dead God on a cross entering the deepest, darkest dungeon in the cosmos so you never will. When you see this, it's a present power. A present power. You say things like this. Man, I'm redeemed, not condemned. So you say things like, I'm redeemed. Who are you? I am redeemed, not condemned. God is for me, not against me. Amidst your loneliness. Amidst the horrible things at work amidst your fears in the playground, amidst your anxiety in the music hall. I am redeemed, not condemned. God is for me, not against me. You say things like, I am redeemed, not uh, condemned. So you don't have to listen to your inner critic anymore. You don't have to listen to any critic anymore. I was thinking of a quote that someone said about critics. I can't remember, but it was really good. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt. Anybody remember that? Yeah, something about the arena and saying that everybody looked, I mean, it was, it was really kind of interesting. It was like a critic, we could just basically say a critic is stupid. I think we could say that. I think a critic is like jerkitude. Remember that word we've used a long time ago? Um, but nobody cares about a critic except the critic. You can say things like, I am redeemed, not condemned. You can now rest, genuinely, truly rest. Why? Because your performance and people and circumstances no longer have a claim on you. 
What we're going to see later in Ephesians is that Jesus is going to be resurrected and ascend above every kind of power, every kind of force, every kind of name. Nothing has a claim on you anymore. Performance can't claim you. Condemnation can't lock you in a dungeon. People's approval or disapproval can't put you in a chain. You're no longer claimed. Tough circumstances, stressful circumstances can't claim you anymore. You are absolutely free. You are absolutely released. You are at rest. And that means legitimately, literally, you can have a good night's sleep without a foam mattress that costs $2,000. Although support is really good because when you get older, your back starts, but that's another topic. So, a dead God on a cross, a dead God on a cross is presently powerful. Who are you? I am redeemed, not condemned. 